Amen. Hallelujah. What a rousing uh, song to sing right before we give the message. Why don't we pray and let God uh, continue to receive the blessing that he deserves. Father, we come before you. Your name is Yahweh. You are great and greatly to be praised. How can we not praise your name, all that you've done for us, with us? Uh, Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways. We thank you for all your blessings. But Lord, sometimes there's also difficulties that come our way. And Lord, you've taught us to uh, praise you even in spite of those things. And so, Lord, we come into this place and we do that very thing. We ask now, Lord, that you would uh, come upon us, uh, convict us, help us to understand your word faithfully, uh, to apply it to our lives, Lord. We pray that we wouldn't be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. And so, Father, we pray that we would go beyond just hearing but that we would apply the truths of your word to our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you saw the title of my message in a bulletin or online or whatever, you might think it's some theological treatise. Well, so I've changed the title because it's not a theological treatise. So I've changed the title to Christ's Most Hated Message Ever. (laughs) Doesn't sound very theological, does it? It sounds more like a story. But yeah, Jesus preached a sermon and people hated it. I don't know if I've ever had a sermon that I've preached that people hated as much as they hated this one that Jesus preached. Uh, See, up till now, up till this point when Jesus preached this message, he was loved. Everybody liked him. In fact, Luke comments, uh, the news about him spread throughout that region and the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. It was like, woohoo! It's Jesus coming to town. It's party like everybody gets out and like, hey, we want to see this new preacher and coming to town. And there was this huge expectation. I mean, after he read the scripture, uh, Luke comments again, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. <laughs> I love that picture. Eh? <laughs> it's just, it's just like glued. They were all expecting this amazing sermon. They, they had heard about him. People were excited. And they were just like, what is he going to say? What's going to happen? Popularity, expectation, what could go wrong? Well, by the end of the message, they were absolutely furious with Jesus. Clearly, it was this message that made them so angry. And when it says, when they heard this, what, what it's referring to is his sermon. It's only three verses long. <laughs> it's a tiny little sermon. They go from, woo, expectation, and to, oh, we're going to kill you. What? In three verses? It's crazy. They were about to murder him. Uh, what could... Jesus have possibly said to make them so angry. Like, they were just, like, livid with him. (laughs) I mean, you don't drag someone to the edge of a cliff to throw them off unless you're really ticked off. And they were really ticked off. I mean, they went from, yay, you're the best, to, boo, kill the bum. (laughs) Within three verses, it's crazy. So you got to ask yourself, what did Jesus say? Like, what was this worst sermon ever? Like, well, actually, it's kind of funny. He just summarized two stories about the e-prophets. That's all he did. Just summarized two stories about what we've been talking about the last few months. 
The first story says, I assure you there were many widows. Next slide. I assure you there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah did not send, was not sent to any of them. Oh. (laughs) I have to take my kids to the airport. (laughs) Our kids. Uh, Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And then he tells another story. So there's one story, and then he tells another. And there was many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. (laughs) And that's what ticked these people off, these two stories. They just got livid. And you, you might be going like, I don't get it. Why were they so mad? What was going on here? <laughs> a couple of references to stories they already knew. Yep. But Jesus was implying that they, the people in the room with him, were so caught up with being God's chosen people, God's special people that God loves so much. They were so enamored with being sons and daughters of the king. They had become so caught up with their entitlement that he was implying that God wasn't interested at all in blessing them, but God was rather going to bless, God would rather bless a foreign pagan person than bless the children of Israel. That's what made them so angry. (laughs) That's what made them so ticked. Talk about a relevant story for today, right? I mean, as evangelical Christians, don't we kind of come in that category of, well, God's going to bless us. We're evangelicals. We believe in the blood of Christ. We, our sins are washed away. We're, we're close. We're tight with Jesus. And we start to feel like we're, we've made it. We're safe. We're good. Everything's good. <laughs> and so... The preachers who preach, you know, like, hey, you're good, they are very popular today. I don't know if you turn on your TV and watch some of the preachers. Not all of them, for sure. Some are great. But some of them are, like, preaching that God loves you so much, he's going to bless you with money and with health and with all the good things of the world. And I'm like, uh, don't think they read that verse about Jesus having foxes having hole, holes and birds' nests and Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. Kind of missed that one. Uh, you know, but they just keep preaching. God loves you. You're a child of the king. Just reach out and grab your inheritance. You name it and claim it. But there's very few preachers like John the Baptist these days, you know, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we are Abraham's children. We have Abraham for our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can make Abraham's children. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce fruit, good fruit, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this guy was a fiery preacher. We don't hear much of that these days. No, people will be rather like, oh, God's your king and you're a daughter of the king. Sure, I'm an evangelical. I love the message that Jesus loves you and that he gave his life to die for your sins. That's, that's our message. It's great. 
And we have this free gift of eternal life. I've preached it many times. Very important. We are God's children. And there's nothing that can take us out of God's hand. Eternal security. I love that doctrine. But I see other doctrines in the Bible that challenge my faith. And friends, sometimes we can be lulled into thinking that our lives really don't matter to God that much. What, oh, the only thing that matters is our faith. You know, as long as you have faith in Jesus' blood, that's it. That's good. But God, that's not the only thing God is concerned about. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. You might think you're all good. But Jesus is pointing out that it's not just a head thing. It's not just what you believe. It's a heart and a, and a whole body thing. <laughs> God didn't save just your heart. He didn't save just your mind. He saved you as a complete being to do his will, to produce good works that he has prepared for us in advance to do. That's his whole point of saving you and me is so that we can do good works, so that his name would be glorified. And so this idea that, you know, like, hey, I got my fire insurance, I'm good. It's not scriptural. It's not biblical. (laughs) My friends... Without reverence and respect of the holiness of God, we're on shaky ground. Jesus said it this way. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Do, do. Did you see that verse? It's not just believe. It's do. (laughs) Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? I mean, these are real believers. These people are, you know, they're saying to the Lord of lords and the King of kings, hey, didn't we do miracles in your name? I don't think they're lying. They're not making this stuff up. You don't lie to the King of kings, the God eternal right to his face. And his response, when I then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. It's not just about what we believe. It's about what we do too. I mean, James talks a lot about faith and works working together. In the same chapter, Jesus talks about, you know, like, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A tree, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. I love that line. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you actually can't produce bad fruit. <laughs> Praise God for that. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is like a test you can do about your own faith. Are you producing good fruit? Is God's Spirit in, your, in you producing good fruit? If not, you better do something about that. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You know, he goes on to talk about the, you know, picking out a piece of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a huge plank in, front, in your own eye. He goes on to talk about the wise and the foolish builders. And the main difference between the wise and foolish builders wasn't whether or not they were in church listening to the words of Jesus. No, not at all. The difference was whether they did what Jesus told them to do. Did what he said to do, not just listen to it. And so Jesus uses this story about Naaman the Syrian or the Armenian, an enemy of the Jews. 
as an example of someone who is blessed by God while the so-called people of God ain't helped at all. It's a weird story, really. Why? When you think about it, with the story about Elisha and the, and the woman as well, why is God helping these foreigners who are not people of God and not helping the Israelites? Like, why weren't there more lepers in the time of Naaman healed in Israel? Why didn't God send Elijah to an Israelite woman to be looked after? Why is that? It is a bit of a mystery. It's a bit weird. It's fascinating to me that the story of Naaman found in 2 Kings chapter 5 actually has the very same point that Jesus is making in the New Testament. It, the whole story has the same point in it. And it's like, whoa. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't be too surprising that Jesus actually, you know, knows the meaning of the scriptural stories <laughs> and can tell them, <laughs> revise them a little. <laughs> uh, Jesus gets the point. Uh, yet it still ticked the people off, so much so that they wanted to kill him. But if they would just read the story for themselves, they would realize what Jesus was saying was true. And they wouldn't be angry like that. Sometimes when the Bible points out our deficiencies, rather than confess and repent, we sometimes just get angry. We just get upset. Ah, that preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. Or, wow, this scripture is not for me. Or, what what did Jesus mean by sell everything you have and give it to the poor? That's obviously not for me. I don't know what God talks to you about. (laughs) Sometimes when God talks to me, a lot of times, actually, when God talks to me, it's something I don't want to hear, really. (laughs) It's something i got to do something about, right? So... Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 5, and let's check out this story about Naaman. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but I'm probably all equally sure that many of us have forgotten some of the details, the juicy details in there. So I'm just going to tell the story. You can follow along in chapter 5 if you like. Uh, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. And uh, he was a great man in the sight of his master, uh, the king, highly regarded. And because of him, because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Um, And he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy, skin disease. Now, bands of of, uh, raiders from Aram had gone into Israel and captured some people. And one of the people that they captured was a young Israelite girl. And they brought her back to Assyria. And so while she's there, she ends up being the servant of Naaman's uh, wife. And she's serving in the kitchen or whatever. And this young girl, uh, she says to her her mistress, she says, uh, you know, if Naaman would just go to the prophet in Israel, he, he could get healed of his leprosy. This captured slave girl says this to her mistress. I mean, isn't she angry with these people who captured her, took her away from her family and disrupted everything and conquered Israel? And apparently not. Apparently she's concerned for his health. (laughs) Anyways, so Naaman is like, oh, okay. So he talks to the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad II, and he says, uh, 
a king, I, I heard that there was this prophet in Israel who could heal me of my leprosy. Can I go? And the king says, oh, by all means. In fact, let's, uh, I'll write you a letter. So uh, he writes this letter to the king of, of Israel. This is what the letter says. He says, with this letter, I'm sending you my servant Naaman so that you can heal him of his leprosy. Could you imagine as a king getting this letter? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's shocking. The king's like rips his clothes and he says, what am I, God? Can I kill and then bring back to life again? Who does this guy think I am? Does he think I can do this merely? He's just trying to pick a fight with me. This is crazy. And he's upset. And, uh, and, and Elijah, Elisha hears that the king has torn his robes. And so Elisha sends a messenger to the king. And he, the messenger gets to the king, and the messenger says, uh, uh, Why have you torn your robes? Send the man to Elisha, and, and he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman comes. Now, now, one of the things about Naaman is he's brought some gifts along with him, okay? He's, he's, he's brought 750 pounds of silver. Can you imagine what that would be worth? 750 pounds of sh- silver and 150 pounds of gold. Uh, if you figure that out in, in today's money, I mean, this is millions and millions and millions of dollars worth. And ten, 10 special garments. We're not told what they're worth, but you know, I bought a few suits these days. They're expensive. So anyways, he's got all these gifts, but he's just loaded down. And, and it's kind of funny, you know, because the king is ripping his robes. And, well, he, Naaman's got 10, 10 robes with him, right? <laughs> so anyways, it says that Naaman went with his chariots and, and his horses, so in other words, there's this big entourage. Well, they have to have some chariots to carry all the gold and silver, you know, like they're loaded. So this whole entourage heads out to, to uh, Elijah, Elisha's place. And, you know, they knock on the door and, hello, it's the prophet here. And the servant comes out and uh, says, oh, yeah, uh, the prophet says to go wash in the Jordan River seven times and, and you'll be healed. And Naaman's like, What? What's with this? He sends a servant out to me? Doesn't he know who I am? Like, what is this? I thought the prophet would come out and, you know, call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot. You know, some magic hocus pocus going on. I thought that's what he was going to do. He sends me to to wash in the Jordan River? Really? Uh, Aren't Abna and uh, Farpar much better rivers in Damascus? What is this? And he stomps off. He's just ticked right off. <laughs> and he's heading off. And uh, then there was this little servant guy. And he, he's like, uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, if the prophet had told you to do some great deed, wouldn't you have gone and done it? So why not uh, wash and be cleansed? <laughs> I love this servant guy. <laughs> he's got faith. And he see, reads the situation. And, you know... Kudos to Naaman. He's the, the captain, you know, the, the army commander. He listens to his, his guy. And he's like, oh. So he goes off. And it says he dipped himself in the Jordan River. I, I get this feel like 
uh, Elijah told him to get to go wash in the Jordan seven times. But when it actually gets to him there, he just dips himself seven times in the river. It's almost like he's like, who is there cooties in here or something? I don't really know. But he's just barely obeying what the prophet says. Just, And then the Lord heals him. And uh, I think, yeah, his skin's new is great. It's, it's amazing. And so he's just like pumped. His flesh, the Bible says his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants, the whole entourage, they set off back to Elijah's house. Uh, and Elijah this time comes out to see him. And Naaman's like, uh, he stands before them and he says, Now I know there's no God in all the earth except the Lord God of Israel. Like he's convinced. He's like, whoa, that was incredible. Uh, and uh, so please accept this gift from your servant. And so he's got 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 suits. <laughs> and what does Elisha say? Oh, no, heaven forbid. I could never take a gift as payment for God healing. He's just like flat out refuse. You know, people like to do that. Sometimes when I pray for people, they want to give me money. It's embarrassing. I'm like, uh, give it to the church. Because <laughs> I don't ever want to fall in this trap. It's easy to fall in this trap of doing, uh, you know, like the first time I got a paycheck from the church, it was really, I really had a hard time. I've gotten used to it. Thank you very much. <laughs> but... <laughs> But the first time I was really I was really worried about this passage and other passages of scripture. I was like, ah, I don't like this. But I found some other passages that says that you know it's at least you know like your oxen churning out the grain get to eat of it. So I guess this pastor can be an oxen too. Anyways, never mind. <laughs> uh, and so even though Naaman urges him to take the gift, he just, no, I'm not going to take it. And then Naaman says something really interesting. He says, well, okay, if, if you're not going to do that, can I ask just one thing? Can I, can I take two mules worth of soil to take back to Syria so that I can worship the Lord? So it seems like he wanted to put this dirt from Israel on some land in Syria and call it Israelite territory world. Israelites' God is, I'm going to worship there. It seems like that's what he was thinking. And, and uh, whatever. Um, and, and then, and he says, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord God. This man was converted. He was now a true believer in the Lord God. And but then he says something very interesting. He says, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant of this. Very interesting. This pagan man knows the difference of going through the actions and the real heart conviction. He knows the difference. And he assumes that God knows the difference as well. 
And isn't that what this whole story is about? And the story about the, uh, what Jesus talks about? The difference is what's going on in our hearts, isn't it? It's in our hearts and it outflow our, outflows our actions. And here he's saying, but yeah, there's this action I got to do for work. I don't agree with it, but I, you know, I got to do it. Is that okay with the Lord? And Elijah says, yeah, go in peace. It's fine. Because Elijah, or Elisha, sorry, he knows the heart of this man. And after Naaman had traveled some distance, something interesting happens. Gehazi, the, the servant that had gone out and talked to uh, Naaman the first time, he's like, well, this is what he says. My master was too easy on this Naaman fellow, this, this Armenian, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. I think he saw some of the baggage with the 750 pounds of silver, or the 150 pounds of gold, <laughs> or the 10 garments. And so he's like, I, I, I'm going to... I'm gonna Get some of that for myself. This is ridiculous. So he hurries after Naaman, catches up with him, and Naaman turns around and says, Oh, 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 that's that servant of the of the prophet coming. And so he stops, he says, Oh, is everything okay? Is everything okay? And and Gehazi says, Oh yeah, everything's fine. But uh, two two of the prophets have come by to visit uh, my Lord Elisha, and uh, we, we we could really use some of that silver, maybe, you know, one bag of silver would be great. And, and maybe a, a couple of, uh, of garments. And, and Naaman's like, oh, by all means, take two bags of silver. And, and these bags are 75 pounds each. Okay? And so he gets two of his servants say, hey, guys, come, take, take these, these uh, two bags with you and go with the servant of Elisha and, and, and deliver it to, to Elijah, Elisha. And so off they go. But when they get to the top of the hill where Gehazi's house is, he says to the servants, oh, it's good enough. You can leave the bags here. You go back to your master. I'll I'll look after this. And he takes the bags and he puts it in his own home. And then he goes the rest of the way down the hill and stands before Elisha. Elisha. And Elisha says, oh, where have you been, Gehazi? Oh, oh, nowhere, nowhere. Guilt written all over his face. Nowhere. Uh, and and Elisha says, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down out of his chariot? Is this the time to receive garments and silver and gold and olive vines and vineyards and, and pomegranates? And he just goes on and lists a whole bunch of things maidservants and men's. <laughs> And then Elisha says, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Wow, that's quite a story. You see the reversal of fortunes? Naaman... He's an enemy of Israel, a pagan man who followed the false god Remon. He has pride issues. He's got anger issues. (laughs) But he seemed to have a little bit of faith in 
gingerly obeyed. You know, he just dips himself. Well, let's test this, you know. <laughs> and boom, God heals him. But Gehazi, he has all the benefits. He's an Israelite. He's, he's a servant of this amazing prophet. He's watched while uh, the prophet raised the boy back to life. He's watched this with his own eyes. He has faith. He has... But he's disobedient. And even though he has all the good stuff, he's disobedient. And the guy who has all the bad stuff, everything against him, he's obedient. And which one God's blessed? God doesn't bless the heritage. God doesn't bless the... the the rightness of his worship. He's even still worshiping in a, in a pagan deity's place. But he sees the heart and the obedience. And God blesses him. And with Gehazi, God curses him. Sometimes we evangelicals think that we're exempt from doing God's will. We're not. The New Testament Saints are warned repeatedly. If you think you're standing, be careful so that you don't fall. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And one of the things about this story is I love it the fact that there's this thread through it of God's sovereignty and predestination working right alongside with free will. You know, the church has been arguing about sovereignty god's sovereignty and predestination and free will for as long as the church has existed uh, people are saying oh no god does everything there's nothing that can stop his will and of course romans chapter 12 no not 12 9 10 and 11 talk about the fact that you, you can't really resist god's will i mean and and so why are we still held responsible the fact is we are held responsible because God makes it very clear throughout all the scriptures that we must choose him, that free will is an action. And so it boggles our mind, it blows our mind really, that there's, there's sovereignty of God in which God controls everything. And within that somehow we have free will and we're free agents to either accept or reject God's will. I don't know how these things, two, two things can possibly coincide with one another. They just fry my brain. But they both coexist in the Bible. And in this passage, it's glaringly clear. If you look back to verse 1 of chapter 5 of 2 Kings, this is what it says. It's talking about Naaman. It's introducing Naaman, this great commander of the Armenian army. And it says this, because through him, that's Naaman, the Lord has given victory to Aram. Hold it a sec. This is a pagan general following a pagan king, an enemy of Israel. And the Bible says the Lord has given this guy victory. How does that, it just blows my mind. Like what? How, how is that the Lord's doing? Well, you see, everything that is happening in all the world is the Lord's doing. The Lord is his hand and whether Putin is still in charge of Russia and whether, uh, I don't even, uh, whether Trudeau's in charge of Canada. <laughs> these shocking things, yeah. The Lord has a hand in these things. They're still part of God's sovereign plan. We don't always understand it. But, I mean, this statement, it's actually below, before Naaman believes. And yet, 
whoever's writing this recognizes that God's sovereignty is going on even when Naaman was a pagan man. Even before he believed, God's hand was involved in his life. That's pretty wild. Uh, and I love the, a couple more things about this story. One is I love the little characters in the story. Like this, this girl, right? The, the word in the, in the Hebrew is... Uh, Nah, nara. Um, and so really what it's saying is it's not just a little girl. It's a little, little girl. <laughs> so this, this is a it's very diminutive, uh, whatever that word is, diminutive or whatever. Uh, and, and so she's just a little tiny player, but she has faith. And even though her world has been destroyed by Naaman and the raiding parties, and she's no longer with her parents. She still has faith in God and is able to challenge her master. And, and I love Naaman's uh, servant that tells him, Hey, Naaman, if the, the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So why not do, go and be washed and be clean? This guy reminds me of, of the servants of Christ, you know? Hey, if God had asked you to do some huge thing to prove yourself to God, maybe you'd do it. But all he's asking you is to have faith in Jesus Christ. Just believe. That's it. And you get to go to heaven. What a great message. This guy's like a, like a pre-gospel uh, pre, uh, teller. <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, so I love these little guys. Um, And so Jesus himself actually tells us we need to accept him like a little child, just like this little slave girl. Um, you know, the interesting thing about this is that Naaman doesn't just believe. He has, he's told he has to do something. He has to go and wash. And I, I find sometimes people just want you know, me as a pastor, to pray over the phone with them or just come by their house and pray with them or whatever. But you know what? It's important that we call upon the Lord publicly, uh, that we invite the elders to come and pray over you when you're sick um, because the prayer offered in faith is powerful. And so there's things that we need to do in obedience to the Scripture that will cause God to answer our prayers, to, to do what we have. Uh, it's public. Uh, Romans 10 says, If you could declare with the Lord, with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. You see a little free will in that? <laughs> yeah, we need to confess. We need to believe. These are things we do. There's free will involved with that. And yet, somehow, sovereignty is involved as well. Uh, whether it's new or old, God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't care where you've come from. doesn't care about your past life. doesn't care about your, your gender, your race, your wealth, nothing. He doesn't care about any of that. He wants to know, are you going to be obedient to him? Do you have faith? That's what concerns God. And so, uh, you know, when, when Peter is challenged by the Holy Spirit to accept Cornelius, 
when Peter gets to Cornelius' house, he says to Cornelius, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Two things. Fears God or has faith and does what is right. Action. And so the main message today is, if you call yourself an evangelical Christian, don't be smug like the people Jesus taught this lesson to. Don't be smug like Gehazi and think, oh, I can do whatever I want. God is concerned about how you behave as his child. It's part of who you are. And you might look down your nose at Catholics or United Church people or Anglicans or something. But believe me, God has his chosen people in those ranks. People who fear him and love him. And God wants to bless. You know, I I think it's amazing when you look through the Old Testament of the people that God used. Melchizedek, he wasn't Jewish. (laughs) Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, definitely not Jewish. Balaam, not Jewish. Caleb, did you know that Caleb's not Jewish? Yeah, not Jewish. Rahab, Othaniel, uh, Shamgar, Jael, Ruth, Moabite, of course, right? Obed-Edom, Uriah, and Bathsheba. They're Hittites. <laughs> Queen of Sheba, widow of Zarephath, Naaman, just to name a few. People, God doesn't care. He's not, he's, he's not about your heritage. He's, he's about your heart commitment to him. That's what he's all about. Gehazi didn't get it. Uh, I'm going to end with this. this. My master was too easy on naming this Armenian. Do you get what he's saying there? Not a, not a child of God, not a part of the people of God. It's too easy on him. He should have to pay. The people of God get it for free. But these heathens, these, these outsiders, they should have to pay. He didn't get it. (laughs) He just didn't get it, even though he knew where Elijah had stayed with a non-Israelite woman. So I pray that we will get it, and we will bless those, all people, no matter how far away from God they are, they seem to us, maybe God has those people in mind when he wants, in his sovereignty, to bring them into his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your word and the power it has to change lives. We pray, Lord, that today we will be challenged to obey you and do what you say uh, and not be a Christian in name alone, but in action and deed. Uh, So, Father, I pray that you would convict us, that you would draw us ever closer to yourself. Uh, For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.